0: Mildred Lawson. Chapter Six of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. She had had a rough passage. Seasickness still haunted in her. She was pale with fatigue, and her eyes longed for sleep. But Elsie and Sissy were coming to take her to the studio at ten o'clock. So she asked to be called at nine, and she got up when she was called. THE GILT CLOCK WAS STRIKING TEN IN THE EMPTY DRAWING-ROOM WHEN SHE ENTERED. I DIDN'T EXPECT HER TO GET UP AT SIX TO RECEIVE ME, BUT SHE MIGHT BE UP AT TEN, I THINK. HOWEVER, IT DOESN'T MUCH MATTER. I SUPPOSE SHE'S LOOKING AFTER HER SICK HUSBAND. WELL, I DON'T THINK MUCH OF HER DRAWING-ROOM. RED PLUSH SOFAS AND CHAIRS. IT IS JUST LIKE AN HOTEL, AND THE STREET IS DINGY ENOUGH, THOUGHT Mildred as she pulled one of the narrow lace curtains aside. I don't think much of Paris, but it doesn't matter. I shall be at the studio nearly all day. A moment after, Mrs. Fargus entered. I'm so sorry, she said. I wasn't up to receive you, but I didn't expect you to get up at five, which you would have had to do. I was here soon after six. Mrs. Fargus asked her if she had had a good passage, if she felt fatigued and what she thought of Paris. And then the conversation dropped. She's a good little soul, thought Mildred, even though she does dress shabbily. It is pure kindness of her to have me here. She doesn't want the three pounds a week I pay her, but I had to pay something. I couldn't sponge on her hospitality for six months. I wonder she doesn't say something. I suppose I must. You know it is very kind of you to have me here i don't know how to thank you mrs fargus's thoughts seemed on their way back from a thousand miles from the depths of camp thought mildred my dear you wanted to study yes but if it hadn't been for you i should never have got the chance as it was harold did his best to keep me he said he'd have to get a housekeeper and it would put him to a great deal of inconvenience Men are so selfish. He'd like me to keep house for him always. We're all selfish, Mildred. Men aren't worse than women, only it takes another form. We only recognize selfishness when it takes a form different from our practice. Mildred listened intently, but Mrs. Fargus said no more, and the conversation seemed as if it were going to drop. Suddenly, to Mildred's surprise, Mrs. Fargus said, When do you propose to begin work? This morning. Elsie Lawrence and Sissy Clive are coming to take me to the studio. I'm expecting them every moment. They're late. They know the studio they're taking you to, I suppose. Oh, yes, they've worked there before. The question is whether I ought to work in the men's studio, or, if it would be better, safer, to join the ladies' class. What does Miss Lawrence say? Oh, Elsie and Cissy are going to work with the men. They wouldn't work with a lot of women. Why? Because they like being with men in the first place. Oh, but you? No, I don't mind, and yet I don't think I should care to be cooped up all day with a lot of women. You mean that there would be more emulation in a mixed class? Yes, and Elsie says it is better to work in the men's studio. There are cleverer pupils there than in the ladies' studio, and one learns as much from one's neighbors as from the professor. More. Are you sure of that? Do you not think that we are all far too ready to assume that whatever men do is the best? I suppose we are. Men kept us uneducated till a hundred years ago. We are only gaining our rights inch by inch, Prejudice is only being overcome very slowly, and whenever women have had equal or nearly equal advantages, they have proved themselves equal or superior to men. Women's inferiority in physical strength is immaterial, for as mankind grows more civilized, force will be found in the brain and not in the muscles. Mrs. Fargus was now fairly afloat on her favorite theme, v if men were kind to women their kindness was worse than their cruelty it was demoralizing eventually the conversation returned whence it had started and mrs fargus said then why do you hesitate what is the objection to the men's studio i do not know that there is any particular objection nothing that i ought to let stand in the way of my studies it was only something that elsie and cissy said They said the men's conversation wasn't always very nice, but they weren't sure, for they understand French hardly at all. They may have been mistaken, but if the conversation were coarse, it would be very unpleasant for me. The students would know that I understood. Then there's the model. There's that to be got over. But Elsie and Sissy say that the model's nothing, no more than a statue, The model is undraped? Oh, yes. Really, Mildred? That's the disadvantage of being a girl. Prejudice closes the opportunity of study to one. Mrs. Fargus did not speak for a long time. At last she said, Of course, Mildred, you must consult your own feeling. If it's the custom, if it's necessary, your vocation is, of course, everything. Then it was Mildred's turn to pause before answering. At last, she said, it does seem rather, well, disgusting, but if it is necessary for one's art. In a way, I'd as soon work in the ladies' studio. I dare say you derive just as much advantage. Do you think so? It's from the students round one that one learns, and there's no use coming to Paris if one doesn't make the most of one's opportunities. You might give the ladies' studio a trial, and if you didn't find that you were getting on, you could join the men's, after having wasted three months. As you say, my vocation is everything. It would be useless for me to think of taking up painting as a profession if it did not work in the men's studio. But you are going there? I can't make up my mind. You have frightened me. You've put me off it. I think I hardly offered an opinion. Perhaps Harold would not like me to go there. You might write to him, yes, write to him. Write to Harold about such a thing. The most conventional man in the world. At that moment the servant announced Elsie and Cissy. They wore their best dresses and were clearly a-tingle with desire of conversation and Paris. "'We're a little late, aren't we, dear? "'We're so sorry,' said Elsie. "'How do you do, dear?' said Sissy. "'Mildred introduced her friends. "'They bowed and shook hands with Mrs. Fargus, "'but were at no pains to conceal their indifference "'to the drab and dowdy little woman "'in the soiled sage-green and the glimmering spectacles. "'What a complexion!' whispered Elsie "'the moment they were outside the door.' "'What's your husband like?' asked Cissy as they descended the first flight. Mildred answered that Mr. Fargus suffered from asthma, and hoped no further questions would be asked. So happy was she in the sense of real emancipation from the bondage of home. So delighted was she in the spectacle of the great boulevard, now radiant with spring sunlight.' She wondered at the large blue cravats of idlers sitting in cafes freshly strewn with bright clean sand, at the aprons of the waiters. The waiters were now pouring out green absinthe, at the little shop girls in tight black dresses and frizzled hair, passing three together arm in arm, all the boulevard amused and interested Mildred. It looked so different, she said, from what it had done four hours before. "'But none of us look our best at six in the morning,' she added, laughing, and her friends laughed too. Elsie and Sissy chattered of some project to dine with Walter and go to the theatre afterwards, and incidentally Mildred learned that Hopwood Blunt would not be in Paris before the end of the week. But where was the studio? The kiosks were now open. The morning papers were selling briskly. The roadway was full of fiacres, plying for hire or were drawn up in lines three deep the red waistcoated coachmen slept on their box seats but where was the studio suddenly they turned into an arcade the shops on either side were filled with jet ornaments fancy glass bonbons boxes and fans cissy thought of a present for hopwood that case of liqueur glasses mildred examined a jet brooch which she thought would suit Mrs. Fargus. Elsie wished that Walter would present her with a fan, and then they went up a flight of wooden stairs and pushed open a swing door. In a small room furnished with a divan, a desk, and a couple of cane chairs, they met M. Deveaux. He wore a short jacket and a brown-black beard. He shook hands with Elsie and Sissy and was introduced to Mildred. Elsie said, You speak better than we do. Tell him you've come here to study. I've come to Paris to study painting, said Mildred, but I don't know which I shall join, the ladies' studio or the men's studio. Miss Lawrence and Miss Clive advised me to work here in the men's studio. I know Miss Lawrence and Miss Clive very well. There was charm in his voice, and Mildred was already interested in him. "'Sissy and Elsie had drawn a curtain at the end of the room "'and were peeping into the studio. "'Miss Lawrence and Miss Clive,' he said, "'worked here for more than a year. "'They made a great deal of progress, a great deal. "'They worked also in the ladies' studio opposite. "'Ah, that is what I wanted to speak to you about. "'Would you advise me to work in the men's studio? "'Do you think it would be advisable? "'Do you think there would be any advantages?' WE HAVE SOME VERY CLEVER PUPILS HERE, VERY CLEVER. OF COURSE IT IS OF GREAT ADVANTAGE TO WORK WITH CLEVER PUPILS. THAT IS WHAT I THINK, BUT I AM NOT CERTAIN. IF MADEMOISELLE INTENDS TO STUDY PAINTING SERIOUSLY, OH, BUT I DO, I'M VERY SERIOUS, THEN I DO NOT THINK THERE CAN BE ANY DOUBT WHICH STUDIO SHE SHOULD CHOOSE. VERY WELL. THIS STUDIO IS A HUNDRED francs A MONTH FOR LADY the ladies studio is sixty francs a month why is that because if it were not so we should be overcrowded ladies prefer to work in this studio it is much more advantageous if you would like to see the studio first there were more than thirty in the studio about twenty men and fifteen women some sat on low stools close under the platform whereon the models stood Some worked at easels drawn close together in a semicircle round the room. The model was less shocking than Mildred had imagined. He stood with his hands on his hip, a staff in his hand, and, had it not been for a slight swaying motion, she would hardly have known he was alive. She had never drawn before from the living model and was puzzled to know how to begin. She was going to ask Elsie to tell her, when Monsieur DeVaux drew the curtain aside, and picking his way through the pupils, came straight to her. He took the stool next to her, and with a pleasant smile asked if she had ever drawn from the life. No, she said, I have only copied a few pictures. You learn nothing from copying. He told her how she must count the number of heads, and explained to her the advantage of the plumb line in determining the action of the figure. Mildred was much interested. She wondered if she would be able to put the instructions she was receiving into practice, and was disappointed when the model got down from the table and put on his trousers. The model rests for ten minutes every three-quarters of an hour. He'll take the pose again presently. It is now eleven o'clock. Monsieur Deveau laid charcoal upon her easel and promised to come and see how she was getting on later in the afternoon. But just as the model was about to take the pose again, a young girl entered the studio. Do you want a model? Yes, if she has a good figure, said a student. Have you a good figure? he added with a smile. Some people think so. You must judge for yourselves, she answered, taking off her hat. Surely she is not going to undress in public, said Mildred to Elsie, who had come to her easel. End of Mildred Lawson Chapter 6 Recording by James Carson